Do you ever feel, Spencer? No. Podcast over. <laughs> Do you ever feel that our overlords are saturating the market with way too much entertainment and shows and movies and books and everything so people will just be constantly in a fantasy world and just ignore all the problems of society? I feel like they don't do that enough because I still notice things <laughs> that I would like not to notice. Yeah, but you notice them, but you don't do anything about them. See, the more I learn about the history of our forefathers, not the American forefathers, just around the world, every time there was a giant revolution and everybody just got their heads chopped off, it was because people just got sick of it. And we now have so much entertainment that even though people were sick of it, they just kind of like, yeah, I'll just watch a movie instead. Like, it's, it's a way to keep people just, like, more calm, I think. Do I overthrow the government or watch all nine episodes or seasons of The Office in a row? Yeah, see, that's that's what it is. It's like, I overthrow the government, ruin my life, or just watch, you know, Becker again. Yeah. Did you ever watch Becker? I've seen, I've seen some Becker. Nobody watched Becker on purpose. <laughs> yeah. And anybody that's over the, or under the age of like 30 probably doesn't even know what that is. I don't, even if you are over 30, you probably don't know what that is. It's a Ted Danson show. I only know it because it used to be on at very late at night when I had insomnia roll bad and it would just be on TV and I'd watch it and I hated it, but I watched it anyway. Well, I, I, I always liked the bits where he was being a dick to the patients. Yeah. I always got a little chuckle out of me. It's hard to pass up, uh, Ted Denson just being a dick. True. That he's, is true. He's good at that. Well, I think it's just his natural character is uh, to be a dick. So that's that's about all I had. I don't have much information. I've been writing, been reading stuff. That's it. About you, same. Reading. I noticed writing didn't come up first. Yeah. Uh. Well, no, because I, I actually started to do like a little bit of writing. And then like on Monday, I like tweaked my back doing the most like lamest thing ever. And, like, now it's kind of back to kind of, like, a normal to where it just doesn't kind of, like, hurt, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. That's so, it's kind of, it was kind of hard to get into, like, a good kind of, like, like, a position to where, like, it didn't, like, hurt too much to where I could also... You just have the nagging pain that makes yeah. you not want to write. Sometimes you don't want to write as is. You're just yeah. not in the mood. So, when your back is just nagging, you can't bend over to write. Yeah. Like, you just don't want to do it. I can I see that. How, I can see how that happens. But, uh, yeah... So that's where we are at in our lives, tweaking our backs, doing stupid shit. <laughs> oh, I was brushing my teeth too vigorously. Yeah, just, ow. <laughs> I went to the bathroom and my movement was too hard. <laughs> well, that was the kind of thing, like, because it was it was all lower back. So for, like, two days, like, the poops were, like, it had. A, I just had to wait until, like, they were ready. Like, you know what I mean? You know, sometimes you got to take, take a dump. But you're like, ah, oh, I took some dump. There's more dump. I'm going to just try to get it out there. But like I couldn't, <laughs> you, I couldn't, you know, use the muscles to like. So it's just like, all right, I'm done, and I'll just have to come back in like ten minutes when I, when the rest is ready. Oh. <laughs> what happened over there? The dog climbed under the mixer table and was fucking bumping it around. So I don't know if that came up on here or not. So I grabbed him. To, like, stop him from doing that. And it turns out he has, like, some kind of fucking bone or something really gross that I picked up. My <laughs> bare hand was all wet and sticky. Uh, and I, I tossed that. Now he's eating on my foot. Oh, dude. But, uh, yeah, then I came back and my focus went back to you and you were talking about poop. And I don't know how that transition came about so quickly. Like, within seconds, it was from back pain to poop. So I can't wait to play this back so I can get that full uh, 
I'm not going to ask you to repeat that. I'm just going to assume that it was you hurt your back pooping or your back hurts from pooping. And that's all we need to know. You should know that we're not ever too far away from me turning to poop. No, nah, it's usually just right around the corner. Right around the bend. You are listening. You know what? I want to change it up. You have entered the DPW zone. You are listening to the Drunk Event Writing Podcast. I am your host. I'm going to be a, I'm, you know, I'm changing up. I'm your hostess. Hostess with the mostess? We could do that in 2022. I'm your hostess, Caleb James. I was trying to make it fun. No, I can't. I don't. Kayla James. There we go. Kayla James, that's no, that's gonna offend people. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm the guy that hosts this show again, always as forever until the day I fucking die, and then even probably beyond that. <sighs> With me today, Spencer, the Jamaican Jazzercizer Church, clean one, yes, clean one. I healthy w- as well. I could have went. Now, Jamaica, I, I know where you could have went. But see, Jamaica's known for their jerk chicken. Yeah. So I could have did something with the jerk. Yeah. And, you know, it could have been a double entendre. But I, I, I did, you know, I, I didn't want to go that way. I just thought you were going to throw something else in front of the, the size instead of jazzercising. Jizzercising. That would have been a good one. Jizzercizer. Yeah. Was it you and I who partook in a video about a jizz of mayonnaise and it was in a factory and I think it was the last time yes, you were here. Yes. It was like a factory setting in there making sandwiches or some shit and it was like and then we had a jizz of mayonnaise and they're like, Is that a measurement? <laughs> it was just a splurt of mayonnaise. Today's episode is one of my own creation. <laughs> uh you might enjoy this, Spencer, because you don't have to do much. Yay, my favorite. I forget what brought this on. But I guess I'll... you're going to be reading a whole bunch of stuff. Yes. Yay. But it's stuff I wrote. Okay. Uh, this is different ways to write a scene. So what ah. I have done here, I've concocted a very simple scene, a little bit of backstory for the scene. It could be a cop, a detective, whatever. Uh, a man who could be one of those things shows up onto what would appear to be um, a car accident, maybe. It's Johnny Law. Johnny Law, yeah. Uh, so this guy comes up to what seems to be a car accident and literally it's only two sentences how this starts. But then what I have done is, cause it's not even a whole scene. It's just this one part of a scene. And then what I've done is written out different ways you of, could write this simple and how, scene and how it could go into different yeah. paths. And then, but what I think you'll enjoy is I did a bonus thing after I, I uh, wrote some of these because I don't think it's going to take very long. Uh, but we we could do a little bit of a deep dive into some of these. Uh, I also wrote the same scene from the perspective of some famous authors throughout history. Uh, just some of the ones I've read. And I tried to, again, I wrote all these, so I'm just trying to mimic those authors. Yeah, like that kind of style. But your boy Stephen King's on the list. So I, I, I just want to see if yeah. I nailed it. Because uh, I don't read as much as Stephen King as you do. But I want to see if I could uh, do homage to his writing okay. style. I was going to do Neil Gaiman. That was the one I could not think Ooh, of how to do. Oh, yeah, that'd be rough. I don't know. But I think I nailed everyone else. So anyway, we'll start off. So again, guy comes up to a car accident scene, right? I'm just making up these uh, titles for these. I don't know if these would actually be how you would say that, you know, this is, but whatever. So just the literal scene. He noticed a set of tire marks burnt into the pavement. A nearby guardrail was gnarled. Very basic. 
Uh, that would be probably your starting writer would write it like that. I like Nard. Nard. I use that in every one, by the way. Uh, that's the one consistency here. He noticed a set of tire marks burn into the pavement. A nearby, a nearby guardrail was gnarled. So two sentences, very basic structure. Uh, you could use that in your work just to, you know, just add it to the story. But once you see some of these, you might think, oh, yeah, that's how I could doll it up. So for better story progression, it's still the same thing, but this is just to kind of move the story a little, like just a little bit of a tweak to the flow. He noticed a set of tire marks burnt into the pavement leading off the road to a gnarled guardrail. So now it's one sentence, and all that does is it connects it in a way. So now you're like, oh, yeah, the gnarled guardrail is actually directly related to those tire marks. So there's probably a car accident is what you assume. The first one, you could assume that, but it wasn't definite. It could have been two separate things. Right. Yeah, it could have just been a happenstance that there was tire marks and then the guardrail. This puts it together. So, yeah, that's what it is. Now, this one, this is probably a bad example. I just kind of slapped this together. This is the same uh, scenario with simile. And this is where, because I tried to break it down, so because I do a metaphor one after, so I tried to break it down why I think metaphor could be superior to simile, but I, you'll have to be the judge of this. He noticed a set of tire marks that zigzagged along the asphalt like a drunken man's gait, ending at a guardrail as gnarled as the roots of an ancient tree. So the two similes there are the drunken man's gait and like, you know, the gnarled tree roots yeah. of an ancient tree. So the drunken man's gait, I think, could work because that can almost imply that maybe the person driving the car was drunk. Like, that'll put that seed yeah. in the reader's head. Now, the one that's garbage is the gnarled roots of an ancient tree. I just couldn't think of anything else on yeah. the spot. And uh, But gnarled roots, like, you have metal, now you have a tree, like nature. I don't, I didn't think that was a good simile, but just to show you what, it, you know, how you could do that sentence with the similes... I'm going to do, this one is the metaphorical one, so I want you to kind of judge which one you would probably steer towards if you were writing the scene. He noticed the remnants of tragedy played along the asphalt in streaks of burnt rubber and broken dreams. The gnarled guard railed at their end was a memory of last night's deadly tango. Now, the obvious <laughs> metaphor here is the deadly tango yeah. because a car and a guardrail aren't actually dancing. But that's like, you know, it kind of still will put the picture in the reader's head of, oh, yeah, you know, it's like they combined in a certain way, uh, obviously, in this one. They were it was bumping a and grinding. A deadly tango, though, because it was, you know, possibly fatal here. I kind of like that one better, especially as like an opening mm -hmm. of a story, you know, because it um, it just gives it a little bit more oomph and like of like the uh, how we always talking about trying to hook or draw the reader in as right. soon as possible. I feel like that one does a better job of that. Well... Now, if that was just, like... Through the whole story, uh, yeah, yeah. if it was just a random paragraph of a story, the other, the uh, the simile would have probably been fine other than mm -hmm. switching the, like, the root thing. You know, yeah. you might would have to come, like, with a better one than that, but... And what I personally do in my writing is I combine the... Sim well, I think most writers probably do this, is I combine the metaphors and the similes. Yeah. You know, play around with all... You want to have them all in your arsenal. You want to have all those tools in your bag. Uh, but just going back to this, you know, so he noticed the remnants of tragedy. That's a very, I wouldn't say broader, but it's it's a better way, I think, of just stating that there's tire marks. Well, what I like about that is like how you were talking about before, like with the drunken, like drunkenly, like the zigzags, like the plant the seeds of the guy being drunk. Mm -hmm. That kind of plants the seeds of like. This Something is, bad happened, well, yeah. Well, not even that, but, like, that the police officer, whoever it is, 
It's like a seizing person. It's somebody who's been there yeah. for a while. He's able to recognize. It's not somebody just out of the, the academy. Like, you know, mm. it gives that, that, like I said, that season or that that worn, like, veteran kind of feel to the character. Right. And then when you, we extend this. So tragedy played along the asphalt and streaks of burnt rubber and broken dreams. Now, the burnt rubber is just the tire. Mm. The broken dreams part, that's that could be another metaphor. Well, that goes with the tragedy. So broken dreams, that makes you think, was there a life lost? Did somebody uh, commit suicide? Was somebody drunk and they just had an accident? Like, what exactly happened? And the, But it does put it in your head. Well, something bad happened. Some, you know, broken dreams. That's mm-hmm. never a good thing. Now, this one, you're not going to like. Okay. I, I can already tell you that. Well, I can't judge. You might like it. But I I tried to, you know, overdo it on purpose uh, here. Uh, this would be closer to what you'd probably get when you start reading, like, some fucking fancy high flute and literary fiction. Uh, not saying I write high flute and literary fiction by any means, but more complex metaphor. Death's dance didn't escape his notice. Its rhythm had stained the asphalt with two long streaks of obsidian and brimstone. Only the gnarled guardrail at the tire mark's end told of the night's fatal ballet. Now, that tells the exact same thing as the other one, but it's more. Yeah. It's just more dense. So you still have the dance. Instead of the tango, you're doing the night's fatal ballet. So I still like that. Because now you're still you still get the exact same imagery, but and then the death dance obviously that's a metaphor because you're not actually dancing with death, but that's a cool way to you know think of that. But it's just this whole middle part. So death's rhythm had stay in the asphalt, like that's what that's the rhythm there. So now you're kind of thinking, well, what exactly does that mean? You know, it's a little uh, obtuse. And then two long streaks of obsidian and brimstone. That's where it goes to dog shit because you know obsidian is black, brimstone makes you think of hell, like fire yeah. and brimstone. But if you're reading that and it doesn't elaborate on that, like you, who's going to say that's tire marks? You yeah. probably wouldn't think tire marks right away. You'd have to read deeper into it. You know what that would be? That's perfect for like the first opening block of a Ghost Rider comic. Yeah. That's what that's for. That, that, that. Well, again, though, depending on the story that unfolds, maybe that is what you want to do is, you know, you have the obsidian and brimstone. You're like, oh, shit. I would still probably throw rubber in there over obsidian yeah. just because you still need to make it tire. It has and to- also, too, like. How many people off the top of their head like obsidian is gonna really? Yeah, not everybody know? knows what obsidian is, and also like I'm just, I'm putting obsidian as the color black, but it's also like a rock or something. Yeah. So, uh, which then that makes that redundant because you know rock and brimstone they're both rock. Like, but I do like the death dance didn't escape his notice. I think that's a better way. Of, well, then I also like the he noticed the remnants of tragedy. Yeah. Like both of those. Uh, could work. I, I didn't really like the the dance of the ballet thing. The end, the uh, night's fatal ballet. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I don't Were you more the deadly tango fan? Maybe, but again, like I just like like you said, the the mm. remnants, like the the whatever mm. from the from a couple a couple ones ago. Now, in my own writing, I probably wouldn't use either of those yeah. because that's like a little. Usually, I don't try to add more than. My rule of thumb is try not to use more. Well, one, don't use more than one kind of metaphor in your paragraph. So, you know, if you're describing how blue the ocean is by comparing it to like, you know, as a metaphor for the sky or whatever, like you don't want to switch it up to something else. Same with like your similes. If you're having a simile about the ocean was angry, like an old man sending his suit back and you wouldn't go with the next one talking about, you know, something completely different. Like you have to be more consistent with those. But uh, you could definitely go, you know, like uh, a Thomas Wolfe or something, just too metaphor heavy where it's just the reader gets bogged down and is like, what the fuck am I reading now? Uh, that's one thing I've experienced in like some Alan Moore's fiction I'll read. And I'm like, what is happening yeah. exactly? 
Um, uh, the well, best. If, well, if you think about it, that's kind of like some of the issues we had with Blood Meridian. Mm-hmm. Was like a lot yeah. of the metaphor you couldn't even really point out because yeah. you weren't sure that was a metaphor. Like you're just like so confused. The next one, which is probably I would imagine most people wouldn't use, and I wouldn't use this, and I'm not even sure I did this justice because, like I said, I don't use this. This would be a lyrical way to uh, write out the scene. I'm not talking as in songs, just more as uh, like the if you read the writing, especially like out loud, almost like a poetic kind of style. He noticed the tire marks etched into the road. Screeching, squealing tires had screamed deep into the night. Nightmares nestled in the knotted, gnarled guardrail, revealing an aftermath not of this waking world. So that kind of just gives you more of, like, if you didn't read that out loud, you kind of yeah. wouldn't... I mean, you'd still get it, but it wouldn't be the same. Like It definitely had, like, a death poet jam kind of yeah, feel to it. Yeah, it's just, like, and you can really do that. And I've read some work where that's all right, but sometimes that gets overdone, too. Uh, and what I didn't do is I didn't write this uh, like a poetic rhyme type or just regular poetic type, which is, again, very metaphor heavy. Because that's another thing with uh, poems. A lot of them are so metaphor heavy that you don't understand what's going on. You have to deep read. And that's more just uh, me being stupid, <laughs> like me just not being, you know, real keen on heavy metaphors in uh, people's work. That doesn't mean it's bad. But so out, so out of those, before I go on to the author ones. Out of those, which one, the regular metaphor one? Probably, yeah. Um, of course, you could do the, like I said, if you combine the the simile one with the metaphor one, you'd probably have a, a winner. Uh, and the more complex metaphor, like, that wasn't too deep. It's just, like, mainly the obsidian and brimstone was probably too heavy. And uh, that ending, like you said, the the knight's fatal ballet, that could come off kind of corny, probably. Those are just, just, uh, just not my style. Right. Like, I mean, like, if I read it, I probably wouldn't be like, oh, oh, but, like, it just as me, like, me personally writing, I probably wouldn't go in that, mm-hmm. in, that I, in that direction. But all of those, I feel, are way better than, he noticed a set of tire marks burned into the pavement, a nearby guardrail was gnarled. That's what a lot of our submissions we get are that I have to reject. It's just very basic sentence, sentence, yeah. sentence, sentence. It's like, even the second option, he noticed a set of tire marks burned into the pavement leading off the road to a gnarled guardrail. That's more of a mouthful, but I just feel like that is still better pace-wise. Like, when you read that, you can, okay, we're moving along. But when you go sentence, 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 like, I feel like it drags, and you're just like, I don't give a fuck anymore. These are, this one's going to be hard to read, and you're not going to, if Ashley's listening to this, he'll appreciate this one. <laughs> David Foster Wallace <laughs> wrote this scene. <laughs> well, Caleb, as David Foster Wallace, wrote this scene. <laughs> this well, is, I was gonna say before you get into these, is one of these uh gonna be a um oh uh shit what's his name uh old man old man and from the sea or in the sea Ernest Hemingway yeah no I felt that was gonna be too boring well I just was wondering because you were talking about like the how like the the very first thing you wrote how it was just very like concise well, and like kind of short. And, like, I just know from you talking about him that he seemed like he always leaned that way. See, the thing with Hemingway is you couldn't break down a scene like that because it probably would read like that uh, if you just broke down a single part. It's just the metaphor used throughout that actually makes it a different story almost. So if you're reading just a random Hemingway scene, it probably would read very close to that first one. And you'd be like, ah, that's fucking not that good. But But when when you you read it in a whole. Yeah, when you read it in a whole, you're like, oh, it's... Like, the writing's simplistic, but the actual metaphors and the messaging and the themes are very heavy. That is a art I have not seen replicated by many people, being able to be so simplistic but having so much meaning in your, in your work. So David Foster Wallace, what does he have to say about the man coming on the scene, Spencer? <laughs> Probably a lot of poop. <clears throat> this is a run-on sentence. 
Because <laughs> <it's laughs> like say, again, a block. I say, how long is it? Is it gonna take like fifteen <laughs> no, minutes to read? No, it's you know because it's only based off those two short sentences. But Foster Wallace doing it, it's gonna be a block. In his numerous observations, one revelation made itself immediately apparent in the form of two parallel lines of oxidized rubber that had heated and cooled rapidly so as to congeal into blackened strips onto a surface that typically contains about 80% by weight of carbon, around 10% hydrogen, up to 6% sulfur, small amounts of oxygen and nitrogen, and trace amounts of metals such as iron, nickel, and vanadium, which solidly affixed a steel guiding system along its outer edges, which due to a yet-to-be-disseminated accident had been gnarled beyond all recognition. That from what I heard when you guys talking about the podcast That's, and what you read, like the experts you read from the from the different stories, that that sounds like it could be him. Uh, now, if it was actually him, he would have did the chemical. Not right I now. did the chemical makeup, but he would did the formula of the yeah. asphalt. Uh, that's what that was, by the way, the chemical, and then the guiding system. Yeah. That's the guardrail. Yeah. But he fucking would say guiding system because he's a. He probably would say transportation guiding. Like just fuck off. That reminds me of his uh, instead of seeing seatbelt, it was safety restraint system yeah. or some dumb shit. <laughs> this one I had fun. James Joyce. Oh, how much farts in it? No farts. Oh. Um. So this is I haven't read Ulysses yet, so I can't judge too much. But I'm, just say is it written in like an accent? I'll try to read it, but I can't. I can't do an accent, especially a James Joyce accent. To all into one, God has bestowed upon this man the answer marked in the gray, gray, gray. Yes, the gray road. Yes. Willie marks of long black on the long gray with scree, scree, scree all the way to the guidey guardy gnarled in metallic grays and silver and blacken with the scree, scree, scree of an ending most disastrous. To this man, God had revealed it all. To all mankind, it was but a blink in the nothingness of human existence. Did Joseph, did he, you think he just ever had like a stutter problem that he like it manifested in his writing? No, because I, I listened to him reading Finnegan's Wake some of it and he didn't have a st- he had a great Irish accent just because like he's just like he repeats words and then we'll and then we'll go to well, a word and then come back to a word that it's purposeful because his is he does like almost like linguistic acrobatics I would say uh, he purposely does it so it's one apparently his work is better read out loud uh, for reasons I said earlier on I forget what that was uh, oh the lyrical one uh, it's supposed to like a lot of the stuff he focuses on, especially in like Finnegan's Wake and Ulysses, was more about the way you say something and the way the word sounds. And he like combined words to make up new words and did all this shit. So that's just, instead of guardrail, we had guidey guardy, you know. <laughs> and then like instead of uh, tire marks, we had wheelie marks. Like just <laughs> that was just me making up random shit that he might uh try to make up. This one you might like too, Haruki Murakami. Ooh. <laughs> You have to. Uh, you haven't read like his novels, but I think you got enough taste on them. Yeah. You might understand. You might get this. Supple saxophone notes from Round Midnight by the Thelonious Monk Quartet pumped through the speakers of his 2016 Mazda MX-5 as he arrived on the scene. The first thing he noticed was a set of jet black tire marks trailing off down the road. The color reminded him of the seaweed band wrapped around the eel nigiri sitting in his refrigerator. Following the marks with his eyes, he landed upon a gnarled guardrail. The nigiri would have to wait. So you got the Thelonious Monk saxophone, you got the The only car, thing you missed was... Cat and jazz. Well, well, I got the jazz. Yeah, so the only thing you missed was the cat and maybe some spaghetti. I was going to do spaghetti, but I went with seaweed because that's the only thing I could think of, uh, the seaweed wrap around yeah, oh, sushi's yeah, yeah. Bl- like a blackish color. Yeah. <laughs> All right, here's the Stephen King one. Um, I'll have to depend on you to see if this is close to accurate because it's kind of hard because he doesn't write in like a complex style or anything that's no. real specific, but you always know it's Stephen King when you read it. He noticed the tire marks straight away. Who could miss them? They streaked on down the road in black fury. 
Whoever made them must have had a one-way ticket to hell and didn't want to be late. Or maybe it was hell that had been coming for them. By the looks of that gnarled guardrail, they found hell one way or another, and there would be no coming back. That's pretty close, yeah. Yeah, does that feel like a Stephen King? Yeah. I thought I was proud of that. I thought that was a pretty good representation of the King Man. Especially, I like the the guardrail being like the... Like the one-way ticket to hell, mm-hmm. and, and he all always that. Yeah, yeah, he always has those additions to his stuff. It's never straightforward. He always adds all that. There's personal touches of uh, his author voice mm-hmm. in there. This one I think you might like a lot. Uh, I was very hard to write this one. <laughs> I don't know if I uh, am able to do the man justice, but H.P. Lovecraft. This is okay. the last one, by the way. Oh, see, I was wondering if you were gonna do a uh, a token one or. A... I was trying to think of some other authors you've been reading recently to, that you could have tried to. I mimic. thought about Tolkien, but just the the situation Said, yeah. doesn't go with like the fantasy elements. I could have wrote it in a fantasy style, but I just didn't think that would be entertaining enough. You, it could have been uh, wheel tracks in the mud yeah. or something. <laughs> wheel tracks. What seemed an endless road of unimaginable horror stretched on in front of him. On the road, eating away at his mind with a sick madness. Two lines devoid of all light. Two black lines, darker and more terrifying than any creature from the deepest depths of the ocean, loomed like cosmic juggernauts. But the real horror lie just ahead. Steel folded and twisted and gnarled as if elder tentacles had reshaped them in their image to be worshipped by man as an evil, horrific idol. An ancient geometry no man could imagine or define with the human tongue. It was too much for any one man to endure, leaving him blubbering in madness until the bitter end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know why that would just leave the him unimaginable. Bl- yeah, I don't know un- why that would leave him blubbering to, into madness, but it's, it's everyone in the stories are always blubbering mm. into madness at the slightest inconvenience. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I left the window open all night. Now it's cold in here. Blubbering madness. This <laughs> is the most weak-minded people ever. Oh, pigeon shit on my shoulder. Blubbering <laughs> madness. <laughs> they have such weak constitutions <laughs> back then. Like Victor Frankenstein always fainting and getting sick. Like they just had such weak constitutions back then. They just always went into blubbery madness at any any opportunity. It's like, oh fuck, I got the runs, blubbering madness. <laughs> I had some bad porridge and I got diarrhea. Blubbering madness. I tripped and scraped my knee. Guess what happened? <laughs> blubbering madness. I'm in the nut house. I'm in Arkham. Blubbering madness. It's always blubbering. <laughs> Gross. You know what? I did miss an opportunity. I didn't even think of it. I should have did a Poe one. Oh, yeah. Like an Edgar Allan Poe one would have been good. Maybe a Mark Twain, too. It was actually a lot of fun just writing just, just like one scene in different authors' voices. I like that. That would be if we ever get if we ever do the uh, the drunken pen writing uh, how to write book. That, yeah, that we could do that. <laughs> but like the main thing I really liked from that is uh, like that exercise just shows you how many different ways, especially with the author one, how many different ways you could tell the exact same scene. You know, the message here is you don't have to pigeonhole yourself into doing something just one way. And if your work isn't selling or you're not getting picked up anywhere, you're all getting rejected a lot. Maybe go back and look how you're writing your scenes and just see, like, how can I not just spice it up, but how can I just change this and make it you know more entertaining? And we've talked a lot on this podcast about pacing, like the flow of your story, the importance of an author's voice. Uh, and those are just all things you have to build. But I think experimenting just with like simple scenes like that and just writing them and really sitting like, okay, I want this one just to be all metaphor. I want this one to be all simile. You know, just focus on that. And then eventually, if you do that enough, you're going to find one that kind of gels with you or combination. I would recommend doing combinations, too. Uh, You'll find something that gels with you and then you'll be like, oh, am I starting to nail my you know specific writing style? And then when you find something that's comfortable and you enjoy doing that reads well. Uh, you might have just got what yeah. you're looking for. 
again, just all practice too. Like definitely a good, uh, good exercise. Like if you're not filling whatever story you're working on, doing something like this is a it's it, like we said, it's a good practice and it sparks your creativity. Yeah, it sparks creativity. You might actually be able to come up with something that you can use. You know, like oh, I'd like that. I can use that in the story. Or, well, I got a good bit of writing done right after I finished doing that, just because like that put me in the mood. Because that is a great, especially when you say, I have to write this, these two sentences, but make it mostly metaphor, or I have to write these two sentences and make it lyrical, a way I never write, or I have to write these two sentences, but make it sound erotic. Like yeah. when you put yourself in a little box like that, you have no choice but to be creative if you're going to succeed. And yeah, I mean, it might not be a good sentence, you know, good scene, but you, just to succeed. I think you have you, to try, you know, you have to work on it. I think you really missed an opportunity and uh, did not do with not doing an erotica one. An erotic. How, how can we do erotic? Let's do one right here. I was going to say, you <clears> might <throat> have to come with one and like tag that on at the at the after cred, <laughs> credit uh, scene. Let's see if I can do it off the top of the head. So what's the literal one? He noticed a set of tire marks burned into the pavement. A nearby guardrail was gnarled. He noticed a set of long, hard tire marks burnt into the pavement. Burnt like his hot, hot, I don't know <laughs> what would be hot. <laughs> I think you got to use the word hot there. And then nearby guardrail was sizzle. sizzling. Sizzle. Ooh, the sizzling tire marks. There we go. Uh, long sizzling tire marks. Thrusted upon the guardrail. <laughs> well, thr- <laughs> thrusted upon the guardrail where it was gnarled into a ball of intimacy. I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, that'd be, that'd be a fun one to actually try to do. Again, I don't write erotic fiction, so I'm not very good at that, but I think that, that'd be fun. So, Spencer, are you going to go home and try to write in different authors' voices? Not specifically, no, probably not. Here's a follow-up question. Do you think that you can pinpoint modern... I mean, we both haven't read a lot of modern authors, but like, if you had to read their style, do you think you'd be, somebody would be able to mimic their style like that? I'm wondering. Like, Do you think like a J.K. Rowling, even, you'd be able to mimic her style? I don't know, without just yeah. saying, doing a Harry Potter. Like, if I did two sentences like that in uh, that scene in J.K. Rowling's voice, I don't know, sure, I never read her, so I don't know, but I don't know if I, uh, it would be specific enough that somebody could point that out and be like, oh, that sounds like J.K. Rowling. Yeah. I, there's, I feel like there's a lot of authors now that don't have that specific style that you could, like a Daniel Lewski, you could. Uh, maybe a Chuck Polinick, uh, Cormac McCarthy. Obviously, I should have did yeah. that. That would have been a good one. Uh, that would have been still very be depressing. reading it by now. Yeah, that'd be very depressing. Well, it'd be hard to read because I wouldn't know where the fucking <laughs> punctuation was. <laughs> he stared off and well, that almost reads like the fucking H.P. Lovecraft. Well, he stares off into the endless void of the like. You know, is kind of similar, just more simple, I guess. But yeah, but I, I can't think of modern authors who. Uh, their style could be really be replicated because I feel like their styles aren't that original. And I think that just goes with the modern, we broke this down many times on here now, the uh, three to four sentence paragraph structure that a lot of publishers look for for whatever reason. Uh, and the YA style of writing, which all kind of seems uniform to me. Yeah. Uh, maybe yeah. I'm just an old fuddy-duddy, but... Yeah, that- uh, YA does definitely seem like there's. I know the there's part, outliers, by yeah. the way. Like I'm not saying there's not literary outliers in that genre. It's just for the most part, what people pick up just seems to all be kind of the same. Well, maybe that's just because we only see what of the YA stuff that gets made into like movies and stuff like that. that what that's mean? what like I'm the, saying. So that's that's why there's outliers. Like that's very possible. We're just you know biased because we don't even read that genre really. Um, I mean, but I mean, you could say that with comic book writers too. There's a lot yeah. of comic book writers where you're, if you read their comic and didn't didn't check to see who wrote it, you wouldn't know who wrote it. 
Unfortunately, it used to not be that way, but yeah, it's a... A Frank Miller book, an Alan Moore book, a Neil Gaiman book, um... Fuck, even now, like a Jeff Lemire book. You know, yeah. if you read the, enough of that author's work, you know that that's uh, that author, even if you don't actually... I mean, Frank Miller, no, I would say his writing style still st- stands out. I mean, I get that you get a bit of, uh, like, the artwork, with, you know, like the Sin City style, yeah. but uh, I feel like his writing style still stands out. But, um, like, a, um, so angry. Yeah, like Obar, who did The Crow, James Obar, he uh, has a very specific poetic type of style that you could probably point out. Again... I'm just saying, with comics, it'd be easier if you read a lot of the work because uh, you don't get enough writing room. You know, there's not a lot yeah. of real estate to really pinpoint just by, oh, I read Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, so now I know his style. Probably not. Uh, but if you read Watchmen, obviously, you'd be able to point his style out in anything you read now. <laughs> if you, I'll ask you specifically this one. If you were to mimic a Joe Hill scene, do you think someone would be able to tell if that was Joe Hill or Stephen King? Are they that different? Because I haven't read Joe Hill yet. So I, um, other than that tall grass story that him and Stephen King both wrote, I didn't know who wrote either yeah. part. So it's weird because like I feel like I could maybe tell the difference on some of like some of it. Does he use that same kind of authorial cadence as King used? Like I said, with like the one way trip to hell. Kinda, like, yeah. He does like the, but like I don't know. It's just something. Uh, I, it's hard to explain like his work. And also, too, but he has a, he has better endings. Yeah, he's a good. Yeah, he, yeah, he doesn't get his endings from his dad, so that that's also a nice bonus. But yeah, we're gonna have to get you on some hill, on some Joe Hill here soon. Well, you keep making me read Stephen King books. I never get around to Hill. Yeah. You know, you could say, "Hey, Caleb, why don't you read some Joe Hill yeah. instead of Stephen King for this stupid bet we have?" That's neither here nor there. I should have did an Arthur Conan Doyle one. It would have been a mystery. Oh, yeah, I didn't want. See, I I didn't want these to go real long. But unless you have anything to add, I don't know if we really have much more to elaborate on. No. I um I will reiterate that I think it's important to mess around. And I would say, as a fun exercise, every once in a while, just try mimicking your favorite authors. Just try writing in their voice to see if you can, uh, you might not have to, you know, nail it, but just see if you can. Like the, like the Stephen King one, like that example, I just like that. If I read that and said that was a Stephen King story, Spencer, you'd be like, yeah, I could probably yeah. see that. Like, I like that you could maybe do that. Um, it's like it's like doing an impression. Yeah, and if you get really good at that, maybe you can uh, try more difficult authors. Uh, authors that would like the H.P. Lovecraft one. Um, I don't feel like that was anywhere near justice. I just use all the unimaginable horror, yeah, you, just the you words. Just kind of hit like the stereotypes. Yeah, it uses a stereotypical vocabulary. But if you actually read a H.P. Lovecraft story, it's like fucking way more complex than that. But again, I wasn't trying to devote too much time to this. 20 minutes was more than enough just writing the same fucking scene over and over. After that, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm burning out. I would like to say that in the future, when I get some novels out, I would like the readers to be able to point out my style if they could. Like, oh, that sounds, that reads like a Caleb. Whether that's good or bad doesn't matter. Just the fact that they could point yep. out that it's my work, mm-hmm. that would make me very happy. Uh, and that's what I'm focusing on, uh, focusing on now. But um, in the future, who knows? Maybe I'll have it so hardened and good and fucking everybody knows it's me i don't have to worry about that i can only focus on story but we thank you for listening and uh what is that we do here twitter we're on twitter at drunk pen writing the website more important uh drunkenpenwriting.com you can read our fiction and see if you can pinpoint our styles on there at drunken pen writing on facebook and instagram and if you want to be so kind give us 500 stars yes on itunes and all that stuff because again i keep forgetting to i always forget for uh, 300 episodes now i forget to ask that but uh 
I I keep listening to these. Uh, I, I had to find some new podcasts to listen to. I got caught up on all my old ones. And all the new ones, that's all they do is ask for fucking reviews and stuff. So that's what we'll do now. We'll beg for the likes and subscriptions. Uh, so anyway, we thank you for listening and enjoy the space music. And until next time, smell you later. <laughs>